Hello, and welcome to Buen Provecho Chronicles. I'm your host, Claudia Harding, and on today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Sam Fagan. Sam and I met here in Austin before she embarked on her time as a digital nomad. She eventually ended up settling in Berlin, and we talk about that some. We talk about life as an expat, uh, the things that you miss. We really just scratched the surface of what we could have talked about for hours. We could have spent time talking about each place that she visited while she was traveling. Um, but I, that means I'll just have to have her back on the podcast and, you know, maybe we'll go episode by episode on each country that she visited. So I hope you enjoy it. And here we go. Anyways. Cool. Well, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for asking. It's very <laughs> exciting. I know. The podcast journey. I have no idea where the hell this is going to go. <laughs> so it should be interesting. Have yeah. you enjoyed doing your podcast or yeah. doing a podcast? Is that yeah, right? I think so. Hosting a podcast. It sounds good. You're definitely hosting because you have guests. I know. This You're my first guest. Well, Nathan, I already roped Nathan into it. <laughs> You're my first overseas guest, so. Dun, da, da, da. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> um, okay, I thought I would start by having you tell us a little about yourself. Okay. Well, my name is Sam. I am a web designer, and I am currently living in Berlin, Germany. How did you get to <laughs> Berlin? Well, almost four years ago, it'll be four years in January that I put all of my stuff into storage in Austin and said goodbye to all of my friends and set off on a magical year around the world, which has extended itself four times. (laughs) (laughs) Into Yeah, yeah. So I spent four months in South America. I spent five months in Edinburgh, Scotland, where I fell in love with it. And I wouldn't have left if I didn't, if, if I had had a visa where I could have stayed, I would have stayed. It's magical. Um, so I needed to leave the UK and I wasn't ready to go back to the States. And Berlin was next on my list of places to check out. I was only planning on staying there for like a month. And then I realized how tired I was of moving after eight months of doing Mm -hmm. it. And then I found out that Germany has the freelance visa. So, yeah. So I can live and work here legally as a freelancer, which is what I've been doing um, for the past five years. So before, before I did my, my trip abroad, I was still... I still had my own business and I didn't, I really didn't want to give it up. So the fact that they allow me to live and work is really, really nice. A lot of people would, would like it if more countries had freelance visas. Yeah. Yeah. My sister-in-law, she did, I think it was a year, maybe two of being an au pair Mm -hmm. in Germany and she tried to stay, um, but it was so hard to, you know, I, I don't know if she was trying to stay as a student because I know she took like a German proficiency test and all that, but it was incredibly difficult to get a visa. And so hmm. she came home. <laughs> Weird. 
When was that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. This was, geez, seven, eight years ago or so. I'm not too sure about the details as far as which visa she was trying to get, but I just remember her saying it was incredibly hard to get a visa mm. for her. So she ended up coming home, but she absolutely fell in love with Germany. So, yeah, we never got a chance to visit her while she was there, but eh, one day. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I know. I keep thinking, like, this is never going to end and I'm never going to leave Austin as much as I love Austin. Um, but, yeah. So, anyways. So, as I might have mentioned to you, this is my little podcast about food. And um, I think one of the things that I really want to do with this podcast is, yes, I would love to talk to people who are in, in the industry. But there are also so many interesting people that I know, um, like you, who, you know, went on this magical one-year digital nomad journey and then ended up, you know, finding a home in Berlin. And throughout all, throughout all of that, one, I know you love food. Um, you have or had, I'm not really sure, this side project called Little Spoon Book that I really kind of want to get an update on. Um, and so, yeah, I just the way food, or I should say the role that food plays in people's lives. And that's something that I find incredibly fascinating, especially when it comes to travel. So when I was thinking like, God, who would I really want to talk to? Um, I thought of you. You were high on my list. Plus, you've got your own podcast. And I was like, she won't be nervous. <laughs> I'm a pro. You are such, you're literally a pro because you've got how many under your belt? <laughs> I have uh, a podcast with seven listeners. See? <laughs> I have one, my husband. <laughs> under, well, you're about to have two. Yay. So I'm going to start with, I, I imagine myself as, well, probably not, the Krista Tippett of the food podcast tour. <laughs> You yes. know how she has that one question at the beginning um, that she, you know, I, forget, I don't even know what it is, but it's always, I'm always like, oh, Krista, that is such a good question. So the one that I <laughs> yeah. was thinking about, not so much like what food like reminds you of your childhood, but what is your earliest food memory? And that's kind of a hard one because, you know, that's, I don't know, at what point do we start having memories and remembering the memories? Yeah. And I seem to be a person who has forgotten a lot of my childhood. So can I answer this as the most consistent childhood food memory? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So uh, my mom and I's favorite dish was spaghetti with sauteed broccoli, onions, and uh -huh. garlic. And that would go on top of the spaghetti and then Parmesan ah, cheese. That sounds so good. Was that just consistent in the sense of like it was always on the menu or it, yeah it was always on the menu it was the go-to meal when we didn't know what else to do um, it was cheap it was fast it was relatively healthy <laughs> I mean depending on how much butter we used it had broccoli it had a vegetable and we could eat it in front of the tv while we were watching something like Julia Child or I don't know, murder oh, she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you say your mom is a good cook? Um, she used to cook way more than she does now. And she used to be really good. She was never an adventurous cook. And she was never like um, a champion 
kind of chef. She didn't want to do the complicated hard recipes. She was really good at roast chickens, roast beef, um, pork chops, mashed potatoes, you know, really comfort mom foods. (laughs) Has that carried into the way you I'm, I'm guessing no, just kind of given some of your food adventures, but how has that informed the way you cook or kind of your food journey? We were, I was ha- talking about this with Nathan, kind of thinking about where I started as a kid, where I am now. Um, and it's kind of, I've done a complete uh, 180 as far as that. I was such a picky eater when I was a kid. So, and I know for some people that's kind of their lifelong, you know, that's they are picky eater forever and then some of us we just kind of get crazy and we're like yes I will eat that weird thing mm-hmm. give me all the weird stuff at least once. Yeah, yeah at least try it once so is, is that the case for you have you <laughs> does your trap I don't know yeah what's informed maybe if your food preferences have changed what's informed it so like last week I went to a really no not last week the week before let me start over <laughs> The week before, I went to a really fancy dinner with my friend Tom, and it was an 18-course thing with wine pairings and, like, food that I had never eaten before in the combinations that they were, and he asked me, what, how did you get into fancy food, and how did you get into, yeah, what's your food journey, basically, and so... This prepared me for the Thank podcast. Thank you, Tom, <laughs> wherever you are. Um, so when I was a kid, like I said, my mom and I would watch mm-hmm. Julia Child, which I think is my first, it's definitely my first cooking show memory. And I didn't really know what was going on. Like she just talked in a funny voice and she made a lot of chickens and talked about French stuff. <laughs> so I didn't think a whole lot of it. And I was very much um, a functional eater. I enjoyed food, but I didn't get, like I grew up in Arkansas. So I wasn't surrounded by, the most adventurous thing was Chinese food. And Americanized Chinese food is not super adventurous. But when you grow up in Arkansas from with a family from the Midwest, like meat and potatoes and not super adventurous. But when I was in high school, I had a friend, uh, her name was Sally, and she was Laotian, and I became super fascinated with her culture, and she would invite me over to eat. She taught me how to make fancy ramen. Um, She would introduce me to her Laotian friends who had a food culture all their own, and So not only did she introduce me to the Asian food store in Fort Smith, which I didn't even know existed (laughs) until she took me, um, but one day in choir, she was reading Martha Stewart Living, the original magazine. And Sally was reading it because she was into gardening, which I thought was super, super nerdy and adorable for like a 15-year-old. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Not not the typical hobby Uh for a 15-year-old. Old in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's my first, that was my first glimpse into a Martha Stewart magazine. And I saw the recipes. And Martha did not shy away from 
complicated recipes. She, you know, the Northeast, she wants to impress and have dinner parties and like has influences from other cultures and everything that I wanted to be and was not, Martha was. (laughs) So I started reading Martha Stewart and um, trying some of the recipes. And then around the same time, uh, the Food Network um, came into existence or at least we yeah. got cable yeah. around the same time. Yeah, I I remember the Food Network and like this weird, like it was this magical thing, but we didn't have cable. Uh-huh. I think it wasn't until I got mm-hmm. to college that I actually started to understand what this thing was. And I was like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So the Food Network taught me how to cook. It taught me how to appreciate food. It taught me how to peel garlic. It, I mean, Bobby Flay and Giada De Laurentiis and Ina Garten and all of these, uh, Tyler Florence, all of these people with varied backgrounds who were together in this one place that was accessible to me. and it just opened my whole world to this whole world of food. And I don't know. It just, I latched onto it and I'd never looked back and I started experimenting and just wanted to do everything. So did your love, because you enjoy traveling, right? I'm I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Do you think like, is that completely... Is that informed at all by food? Like, which one came first? Did you already enjoy traveling? And it's like, oh, this is a beautiful marriage. You're like, I love food. Therefore, I'm going to have to travel to get to some of these, you know, dishes, basically. So what came first? Um, The people came first. Yeah. So when I went to college, the University of Arkansas had a really amazing international student population and I happened to get connected with a group of people who were connected with the international student students and um, we had this big house on the edge of campus and we would just gather there and cook and people would cook dishes from their home countries and then talk about their home countries and it was, it was amazing and totally, totally influenced me to yeah. want to travel. That's so neat. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of been similar experience. I grew up in a small town and food was just, it, it, it had this very celebratory feel around it all the time. So it wasn't necessarily just functional for us, but it wasn't until I got to college that I really started to understand like this whole other world of, you know, cuisines and definitely people. Um, And I ended up studying abroad. And I think that's really where the bug finally hit me. Um, But yeah, I just, it speaks to, you know, being exposed to different things is just so, it's so needed. (laughs) So important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Nice. So Growing up then, food was more functional. Yeah, delicious. I yeah. love eating it. But, but, but functional. So now what role or how do you approach food? Is it still pretty much functional or has it really kind of taken on something different for you now? Now it's a way of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, trying, trying new foods, 
cooking new foods, looking up new recipes, meeting new people, getting them to cook for me, also inviting them over and cooking for them. It's, yeah, life revolves around food. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I did a little, my teaser, it's like, if I'm not thinking about food, I'm eating it and vice versa. And I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to make? And like, oh, I've got these almost, you know, going bad bananas. That's going to become, so yeah, it's always like, in the back of my brain, kind of humming like an app that's just constantly refreshing. Yeah, that's the mm-hmm. same for me. Um, yeah, it's just so good. And I think that's kind of the thing that I find fascinating when people aren't into it the same way that I am, which I understand. We all have different, you know, preferences and things like that. But it's still, I'm like, okay, tell me about this and how it's only a function for you. Anyways, before I forget, you're project your side project which i think started when you kind of went on your nomadic journey little spoon book is that Mm -hmm. still a thing or is it kind of on pause or where are you with that (laughs) it's kind of on pause yeah once i once i sort of settled in berlin it uh i was like well what am i gonna do with this around the world cookbook (laughs) because i only made it halfway around the world (laughs) So I have, I have quite a few recipes that I've collected from my first eight months of the journey, and they're they're ready to be put to use somehow. <laughs> I just haven't haven't done anything with it. I was gonna make a cookbook, like a hard cover or like a zine or like a hard cover. That's so cool. Okay. Yep. It was gonna be legit with photos and. Well, yeah. you know, it might still happen. Yeah, I still have I mean, stuff. We will all come out of this damn lockdown and just like be busting at the seams to get on airplanes and start traveling. So, you know, you may hop on a plane immediately <laughs> get out of Berlin for a while and breathe some life back mm-hmm. into it. It was the perfect project to have while I was traveling though, because cause it got me to it got me to meet locals and it got me to meet locals who I wouldn't have met otherwise because I was like asking for connections from people and anyone who is interested in in cooking and I don't even remember anymore how I how I got connected with some of the people that I got connected with but (laughs) they invited me into their homes and some of them were professional chefs and some of them were just amateur chefs and I got to learn from them and hear their stories and ask them what food means to them and how they grew up with food and like exactly the yeah. same thing that you're doing now I got to do with with those people and then I got to eat <laughs> and walk food. away with the recipe <laughs> was that uh-huh. is that something that yep. comes naturally to you like just asking people like hey can I come into your home and show me your was it like because to me this podcast I'm like okay I really want to talk to you but I have no reason wait now mm. I do <laughs> uh-huh exactly that's why that's why the cookbook and the project like was yeah, the perfect like, excuse. I've got this thing going on. <laughs> yeah. I hope you do mm-hmm. finish it at some point. I mean, I know I would love to see it. When I saw what you were doing, I immediately latched on and, and I thought that's absolutely something I would love to do. And you're right. It's just it's such a way to get into people's homes because I, I don't know. I mean, not just as, as an excuse, but it it feels like they folks open up a little bit differently around a kitchen table and things like that. I think it's because it's something mm-hmm. we all have in common. We all have to eat, 
right? So it's a it's a mm-hmm. fairly common language, I think, even if the accents or ingredients, whatever you want to say, is you know they're all a little different. But yeah, and it's such a good place to share stories and yeah. tell stories. The storytelling that happens over the dinner table is some of the best that ever happens yeah, yeah, I think. absolutely I know anytime I think about you know great conversations that I've had food is always involved and you know you mm-hmm. you can almost remember the conversation because of the taste of whatever it is that you were eating or you know you bite into something we were actually recently um, safely traveled to Santa Fe <laughs> uh, and we happened to find a really great Indian restaurant and they happen to cook traditional southern food which isn't common i think most restaurants in the states or you know that you're going to find around typically cook northern indian food nathan my husband he worked in southern india for about two and a half months and he's never come across that style of cooking and so when he bit into this um, masala dosa that he had he was like immediately transported to his time there and he actually got a little uh, teary-eyed and I'm like, only food, well, not only food, but, you know, I don't know, to me, that's why I love food, because it just, it took him, you know, thousands of miles mm-hmm. across the ocean back to that moment. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I was introduced to dosas here in, in Germany. Oh, really? Yeah. One of, so when I was still doing the project, I, um, one of my friends here, she knew an Indian man who has a Czech wife and they have this um, this old ski lodge in the Czech Republic, like right on the border of Czech Republic and Germany. And they are trying to renovate it into like a working hotel again. So they invited us down to spend the weekend with them. Um, and I thought we were going there just to cook. I mean, I thought we were going there like to cook and learn which that's that's all we did all we did that weekend was cook for the guests that they had at the hotel which we were not (laughs) we were not prepared for this we thought we were going for a relaxing weekend in the mountains oh i wish they had like peeked into the kitchen just to see who the cooks were and been like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that's that's where i had a dosa for the first time and now i know how to make them Oh, that, that's, they're, I've never made one. They were actually selling kits as an option for their curbside menu. And I was like, oh, if we lived here, I would <laughs> absolutely, because I will give anything a try once, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they're just so good. Yep. So, so good. So I guess that a lot of the Indian restaurants here then are Southern Indian because, or at least there are a lot of doses in the city. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this, that's, this has been Nathan's experience, um, just, I don't know that, you know, I'm thinking of the Indian restaurants here and I, it's really rare to see a dosa place around here. I know there is one up north here in Austin um, and we've been to it once before, but yeah, outside of that, I had never come across it. So I know one thing that's very common among expats is missing something from the States. (laughs) So I'm sure there's a ton of good food in Berlin. I know there is, um, but you know, what's that little piece of home I that you I just miss? did a podcast on this, actually. Um, it is <laughs> stupid. It is... <laughs> it's not stupid. It I is Velveeta you. cheese. <laughs> Velveeta cheese and Rotel uh, so that I can make good queso. Yep. 
That's comfort food yeah. at its best. And oh. Mexican food in general um, sucks over here. Do you cook it a lot then? I do. Yes, I try to. What's your go-to mm-hmm. dish? So just buying, putting anything in tortillas. <laughs> just make it, a, make it a taco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a breakfast taco, whether it's just black beans, whether it's chicken, whether it's veggies, um, whether it's ground turkey or that vegan ground meat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or I don't care. I don't care as long as it's in a tortilla. Mm-hmm. <gasps> With some salsa and some guacamole. Do you buy tortillas there? Um, so if I travel 45 minutes north, oh, there is a Mexican food store, the only Mexican food store in Berlin, and they have good flour tortillas. They also have corn tortillas. Wow. Um, but during the lockdown, the first lockdown, lockdown number one, uh, I learned how to make my own flour tortillas. Ooh, nice. My mom mm-hmm. would be very proud of you. <laughs> I love it when moms are proud of me. Are you? Because great. She would. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could walk in my mom's house, be a stranger, and be like, I make my own. Dirt. And she'd be like, wow, you're amazing. I love you. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of her. I feel like my mom has like certain things that she, you know, very traditional, but all women should <laughs> know how to do. And tortillas is at the top of the list, of which I don't know that I've ever made any in my life. Because we have good tortillas here, as you know. Yeah, you don't have to. Why? Why? Why would I? Only if you think there's something you can do better. <laughs> yeah, but otherwise, why mess with good stuff already? Mm-hmm. I know. I'd love to know what the story behind that Mexican food store in Berlin is. See, it's that type of stuff that I'm like, okay, I want to know why they opened, who they are, where they come from. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, what drove them yep. to open a Mexican food store in Berlin? Um, Come to Berlin okay. and do an interview with them. Yeah, I will as soon as I can get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I t- No, nobody wants an, a U.S. citizen right now except for like a handful of countries. I've looked. <laughs> yeah, I have. Um, but all right. So I'm going to ask you one more question. And I am curious, what is the strangest food? Cause we talked about, we kind of hit on this. What's the strangest food you've ever tried and did you enjoy it? So I think that it was the congealed blood that I had in Thailand. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like it a, came in a sausage? No, nope. It was like a jello cube of blood. <laughs> okay. Imagine imagine a delicious jello cube and <laughs> turn it into blood <laughs> and put it put it in some soup. It was in like I don't know, some sort of soup, udon, or mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of soup it was, but it was terrible. Okay. So <laughs> no, you didn't like enjoy iron. it. <laughs> Just tasted like metal. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was that. Yep. That'll do it. Mm-hmm. Did it, I'm trying to picture, I'm like, did it melt into the soup slowly Somehow, like a little flavor no. packet? <laughs> Somehow no. Okay. Which is concerning to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it has something to do with temperature and who the hell knows. Do not recommend. But blood sausage uh, in the UK or in Scotland is amazing. Okay. That stuff is delicious. Yeah. I've never tried it. Um, I watch, I'm a religious follower of the Great British Bake Off. Mm-hmm. And I feel do like, they have blood pudding? I feel like it comes up every once in a while if they're doing a savory bake. Uh, okay. And so they'll talk about you know, blood sausage every once in a while. And I keep thinking, I need to try this. I need to try this. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, one day. It's really good. 
it's so good in fact that when i was living there i bought a blood pudding bible and it's just a tiny little cookbook full of recipes full of ways you can use blood pudding blood sausage great (laughs) and then i moved to berlin and i can't get the stuff anymore (laughs) (laughs) trying to pick up another little bible the broadfirst bible (laughs) i really actually have family in germany that i've never visited on my dad's side i have two cousins that live there um and they have kids now and everything. Where are they? They are near. Oh, I think they're in the southern part of Germany. I'm not even going to try to guess that my geography okay. is horrible. Um, but yeah, they've been they've been there for years now, and yeah, learn the language and everything, which I think is so cool. You have so many reasons to come over now. Also, to bring you Velveeta and Rotel. <laughs> Obviously, obviously, number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, well, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, the end of your day. By the way, your apartment looks lovely. It looks super cozy. <laughs> it is very cozy. Yeah, you've got that, I can't say it, Higa thing going on. <laughs> yeah, so I appreciate it. Thank you for chatting with me for a bit. And um, My pleasure. Yeah, if you need anything else from the States and I happen to find <laughs> my way that way, let me know. I will definitely okay. bring Velveeta in Rotel. Yes. <laughs> Thanks again, Sam. You're welcome. Thanks again for joining me on Buen Provecho Chronicles. And thanks again to Sam. Uh, I really enjoyed speaking with her. I find just her entire journey of being a digital nomad so fascinating. And I would love to hear more about each country that she was able to visit. Because I just know there's so many more stories. Um, And I hope you enjoyed this. So I hope to uh, share episodes twice a month. That's my goal right now. So definitely be on the lookout for those in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you find podcasts. And yeah, thanks again for joining me on Buen Provecho Chronicles.